Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. There is no slide. There are no scripture texts that we're giving tonight. We're going to flow into what I just sat down and God gave me a scripture. So I'm going straight to it. And this is what we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 61. This will be an on-time word tonight. You will walk out refreshed even more. Uh, There's always more where that came from. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God does have more for you. We're just getting started, so we're going to leave out of here refreshed. We need to let God have enough time to deal with the youth and the students, and I think we can do that working with him. Isaiah 61, out out of the New King James. If you've got it, say, I've got it. And if you heard someone say, I've got it, turn to them and tell them there is no cure for it. He's addicting. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tithings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, are you bound by anything? Can I have a towel? God can deliver you from it. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Someone say acceptable year. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion. Zion is the church. Zion is our habitation. Tonight I'm going to be talking about this just for one moment, and I don't want to hold you any longer. I'm going to be talking about this is your year. This is your year. I want you to lift your hands one more time and ask God to bless it tonight. Will you do that? Pray a blessing over this. To all of our online audience, thank you for allowing us to ruin our schedule for God's sake tonight. But God will still minister in a great way. Jesus, we love you. Father, we ask you just to do your thing tonight. Father, we surrender to you completely. We thank you, dear God, that you have called us, that you have anointed us, that you have gifted us that there are things in our life, God, that were meant to be given. And there are some times, Father, where you come in and you live and you use the reservoir of what we've been depositing, Father, through time. So tonight, just we ask for withdrawal from heaven in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. Amen. Now give God a strong hand clap if you're happy to be in church. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Father. And you can be seated. Thank you. Thank you for worshiping him. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome the way God moves? You know, I can say that because I don't practice this and rehearse it in any way. We, we step in here with a fresh perspective ready to receive God. In fact, in this portion of Scripture, you'll find it throughout the Gospels. You'll find it in one place of Scripture where the Spirit of God was on Jesus. Jesus walked into the temple. When Jesus walked into the temple, the Scripture says that he was standing there in front of all of the audience who were the Pharisees and all of the Sadducees and those that were there in his presence. And what he did was he took the Scripture 
he opened up the Bible, and the scripture says he read out of Isaiah chapter 61. And then he began to read just what I read to you. That the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He read it from a first-person perspective. He began to convey the message to all those that were around. It was a very irritating thing for religious people because they understood that the one who would read this in first person would self-proclaim them to be the Messiah. But he read it out and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, not my brother, not my sister, me. He said that the, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tithings to the poor. He said, the Lord hath anointed me to open up the prison doors to them that are brown. To proclaim the liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison doors that were, that were to them, you really couldn't relate to what doors he was referring to if you had no kind, if you had no kind of conscience spiritually. But we now know that those are spiritual doors. Those are imprisonments that were created somewhat by our own habits. There are certain things in our life that we put ourselves into. It wasn't the devil. It was really our habits. But God in his mercy looked at us and said, despite our failures, he was going to come into this world, anoint it, and open up those self-proclaimed prisons, habits, and things that will be set us free from our own self. Because the enemy is really not our foe. It, it, uh, the devil isn't really our foe. It's really ourself many times. But then he goes on even further and he begins to say that he would proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, entailed and encapsulated in this one scripture, everything that was said here in the year, the acceptable year. had everything from deliverance to healing, the anointing, and any and every attribute from the Holy Spirit that would come through Jesus. And after Jesus read this, the scripture says he closed the book and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ear, in your hearing. He boldly began to demonstrate himself as the Messiah. He boldly began to prove himself throughout a process of three years. Three years he began to follow up that word with action, not just words. Three years he opened up himself after spending time with the Father. Three years he began to open up blind eyes, healing the sick, causing the lame to rise up in three years. But the scripture didn't say this in Isaiah that he said, I came to proclaim the years. He said one year. He, he, he referred to only one year. What that tells me is that, and what I feel like God is saying to us in this moment, that you cannot base every year from the past year you cannot associate 
2021 with 2020. Every year has its own identity. And every year, whatever year it may be, does not have to start off January the 1st and end December 31st. Every year begins when we begin to recognize who this anointed one is, who this man of God, son of God, God in flesh, the good shepherd, the great I am, the, the chief cornerstone, who he really was, the deliverer, the prophet of prophets, the apostle of apostles, the one who was anointed in this world and proved himself just not by words, but by demonstration. Because right now, even now, we're living in an age, and I think Jesus was living in an age where they had knowledge like you wouldn't believe. They did not have the internet. But if you know Jewish customs and culture, they loved to get around in the synagogues like he was in that one day. They were accustomed to debating the word. It was just in their nature. They loved to talk about the word. They loved to argue with each other about the doctrine. They loved to converse and try to see who could outwit the other person. It was not about knowing the scripture. It was about knowing the God of the scripture when Jesus came. And Jesus simply opened the book, read one scripture, and told all of them that love to fight, argue, debate. He said, today, this scripture, the one you've studied so much, the one that you can break down to every language, to the Aramaic, to the Hebrew, to every, everything, it's fulfilled. But the only thing he could do to prove it was to open up prison doors, was to set the captives free, was to do everything that was in here that talked about the gospel being brought to the poor, the good news, which was the kingdom we found out later. And Jesus began to show this scripture, Isaiah 61, and he began to show the celebration of one year, of one year, an acceptable year to the Lord, which tells me that, again, that we are looking to try to come up with five-year plans. We try to come up with 10-year plans, 20-year plans. But it's like God tries to tell us, just it's great to have those things and plans, but the main thing you better focus on is the year that you're in right now. The year that we are in right now. We can prepare all year long for one year to be perfect, but without God in it, it doesn't matter. And what Jesus did was step into his world and he began to minister to his region, minister to his people, minister to his families, and he began to do things that they had never seen before. He opened up blind eyes. Somebody say, let it happen here, God. He, he told people, get up from your bed and walk. Somebody say, do it here, Lord. And if we think that we have to have people in this house to see them walk and get up on their feet, I'll never forget we don't need that. i never forget what one of my pastors told me when I walked up to him and I said, I just want something to do. I just want to minister to people. He said, go to the hospital. 
He said, I give you the authority to go there. You have my blessing. Sign in as a minister and start praying for the sick in the hospital. I didn't know what to do with that. He kind of put it out there and said, that's great. You really want to be involved. You really want to make a difference. Then go to the hospitals. Someone asked one time, what do you need to see someone heal? What do you need to, to see God do a miracle? You need someone that's sick. That's all. You need someone in desperate need. That's all. The needs are there. Our city has more than one hospital. There are homeless people in our city. There are sick people in our city. There are people bound in our city. And the question we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that this is our year to see God do something and act and begin to step out by faith? You and I do not need a platform. We don't need a special uh, uh, invitation to come in and to go someplace. The world is your oyster, okay? The world is there in front of you. You can walk out of your front door and go less than five miles in Victoria and run into somebody with a need. But unless you realize that the God of 2021 is with you and he's there to preach the acceptable year, what is the year? The year that God moves and opens up prison doors. The year that God comes in and opens up the captives and sets them free. It's the moment that you and I recognize that we have the Messiah in our midst. And unless we believe this book and understand that he has closed it, he has sealed it, and he has said it is fulfilled, the work is done. See, that's what he did that day. He took the Bible. He took the Word of God and he closed it. And he left it there. That wasn't supposed to happen. If you study the scripture and look a little bit more into the customs of the Jewish nation, the book was left there, open for the next person to step up and make their voice heard. He shut it and said, it's fulfilled. It was an illustrative message to every religious person to tell them, now you will see things happen that you only heard about. Now the prophet's prophecies are going to come to pass. Now, and, and here's the deal. The only reason those prophecies came to pass is because Jesus was reaching out to lost souls. Anything in between didn't matter. It wasn't on God's radar. God did not have politics in his radar. God did not have business on his radar. The only business God was in tune with was his kingdom business, whom Jesus said he must be about, his father's business. So he was so focused. He was so intentional. He was so laser focused, if you will, that when he came into this world, he only had one thing on his mind. That was you and I. 
you and I were on his mind when he came into this world. Therefore, because he was so intentional on that to keep the main thing the main thing, he could step up in front of people and he could make a declaration and he could tell them, I can tell you of a surety that when he shut that book, it was no different. I think it was almost prophetically saying that he would be on a cross and that he would yell out, It is finished. Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? <laughs> Eli, Eli, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Prophetically, I really believe that the book was shut. And when Jesus gave his last, last breath, he said, it is finished. And everything in this book was now passed on to the next generation. And if you look at the scripture and find the writings of Matthew and see every lineage that was described within his book, everything that was there as far as people, it led up to generations that ended at Jesus. But guess whom Jesus passed it on to? The sons of God, you and I. And when Jesus closed the book in the synagogue, he said, now you're going to see it come to pass. Now I'm going to show you the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm going to show you how every year should be by showing you the first one. The one and only place in the presence of God. You see, everything in this world that we look to that's good comes from above. This world will cause you to have fear. This world will cause you to have anxiety. This world and everything in it was never designed to bring you happiness and joy. None of it. This world was no more than a playing ground, a place of warfare for God's children to enter into and defy every demonic force that tries to oppose the will of God. But we will always have that acceptable timeline when eternity comes into our chronological time. And it will be the time of God stepping into our time when we allow God to step into our life by praying, my Father who art in heaven, hallelujah be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's what the apostles were taught. They were taught how to pray. And Jesus told them, you pray the will of God. And he said, I will show you how it's done. That's what they asked him. They asked him because they saw him do the miracles, the deliverance, and the authority that was in his life. They knew, they knew that his source of power did not come from just having knowledge. Because if it was that, to have a good year, it's more than just studying. Because if it was that, they would have said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to study. They didn't say because they saw him do miracles. They saw the prosperity of God. They saw him 
open up the fish's mouth, get their taxes out of it. So they didn't ask him, Lord, teach us how to steward. Teach us how to give. The secret wasn't in that. Teach us how to speak. Teach us how to teach. It wasn't in that. They said, teach us how to pray. The one thing that will alter your year from a bad one to a good one would be your ability to know how to pray. Jesus preached and walked out and declared a acceptable year to him, to God. What's an acceptable year look like? I'll tell you what I think an acceptable year looks like. It's whenever you start to see the things that happen in Jesus' life begin to happen in yours. And the only way to get that to happen in our life, if he shut the book and he began to prove to his people and all those around him that he was fixing to fulfill it, but when he said what he said on the cross, he was doing it again, but this time he would do it through his body. But we look at his life and everywhere in the life of Jesus, when Jesus was on this earth, when the disciples followed him, what they saw was a man going into the presence of God, coming out of the presence of God, ministering to people. Someone say the acceptable year. Come on, say this is my year. You see, Jesus took with him one time in the scripture. He took three with him. So I'm going to take Peter. I'm going to take John. And you know, I'm going to take him with me up there. He, he, I forgot the other disciple. Do you all remember that other disciple? Okay, we'll remember him later, correct? James? Well, he took three with him, and when he went up, or maybe he took two, I don't remember. But when he went up to the mountain to go and pray, he went up there and he became transparent. They called this the, the mountain of transfiguration, right? How many of you read that in the gospel? When he went up there, and then Jesus' body began to glisten before them, and he began to be transparent. And then Moses and Elijah showed up and began to minister to him. Peter saw this. Peter looked at that, and Peter said, the fear of God came on me. I mean, that's when, that's when your stupidness just comes out. When you have an experience with God, and you can't even, you don't understand why. You know, we get, get crazy sometimes. We lose our wisdom and lose our finesse at times when God does something powerful and we just become ignorant sometimes. I don't mean any disrespect, but the truth is, is that our mind is finite, but we're dealing with an infinite God that has all wisdom and authority and power, and he can do anything. So don't try to overthink it and complicate it. Just know that he is. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, it was good for us to be here, Lord. It was so good for us to be here. Let me build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elisha. And did you know that that is exactly how denominations are built? You know that? Denominations are built 
when they have one experience or have one revelation from God and they camp out on that one revelation. When the intent of God was always for us not to camp out on one revelation, but like the freshness of manna, go for it on a daily basis and receive a newness from God and continually grow, continually begin to expand. If you feel like you have arrived and you know everything, that just shows how much you lack. But for me, you know, when I was younger, I thought I knew everything. I had an answer for everything. But the older I get, the more I recognize I don't know anything, and I realize how much more I need him. That's wisdom. But that moment, that moment, here's the acceptable year. That year could have been, oh, it would have been detrimental for them. I mean, it would have been just horrific for them because the rest of the disciples, when you read that story of the Mount Transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, there were two things happening simultaneously. While they were on that mountain, there were disciples on the bottom of the hill that were trying to cast the demon out of a young boy. And they were praying and they were praying. I mean, you know, you can just imagine, right? Have you ever been in one of those prayer meetings where somebody started acting crazy and you, and you thought in your mind they've got a devil and you start calling the most spiritual person around you that you know and they just start getting on it like, you know, just <laughs> sounds like Jabba the Hutt, right? They just come around and think they got it all together and, and they, they've been there for hours trying to make this thing happen. Nothing happens. And then someone says, oh, they're at peace now. God did it, and nothing happened. This was very self-evident for them. They knew they didn't have it. But Jesus stepped down from the mountain. Jesus approached them, and finally the father of the boy went to Jesus and said, Lord, my son has a demon. We've asked your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. And Jesus walked up to him, said a few words, and it was gone. The acceptable year. See, that could have been a bad year for somebody. When we have bad experiences, we try to capitalize on that and associate that with the rest of our progress and the rest of our, our year. But it doesn't have to always be that way. Because it's not how you start most of the time. It's how you finish. And Jesus will step into our lives at the 12th hour if he need be and begin to turn everything around. And the last month of the year, Jesus can step in and bless you tremendously. It'll cause you to look back and forget about all the bad. And you'll start saying, this was a good year. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And Jesus began to look at the disciples. And he said to them, how long will I be with you? They said, we don't know what we did, God. We don't understand. How, how did that happen? Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer. Everyone say prayer. And fasting. That's the four-letter word that we think is bad. Fasting. Everyone say Fasting. Well, I don't want to fast because I'll, I'll, I'll look sick. 
you'll get sick spiritually if you don't. I wasn't trying to, I don't have any axe to grind with anybody. I'm just simply telling you, fasting should be a lifestyle. Do it with fruits and vegetables. I don't want to get on fasting, but that just, that was a secret. He, he said it. Jesus said it himself. Prayer and fasting done together. When is the last time beside our 21-day fast that you have literally fasted? You, I'm not asking me now. I'm asking myself. When was the last time I really fasted and sought after God from a hungry heart? And set myself aside just to spend time with the Father. To come out and begin to see the hand of God work in my year. This year will be determined. The success in this year. The blessings in this year. The harvest in this year. The good news in this year will all be determined by how much time I spend with him. And how less of me is in it. And how much more of him is. And so the moment that you and I decide it's going to be all about him, we're not going to complicate it. I'm not just going to read my Bible just to get a message. I'm not just going to read my Bible so I can tell somebody something. I'm going to read my Bible to keep my mind straight so when I go into prayer, I won't have all these thoughts all over the place. You see, successful praying requires calibration. If you are having trouble praying because you're thinking about all the to-do things on your list, all the honey-do's, all the you-better-do's, it's because your mind is not occupied with this. This is a secret weapon here. It may be written, but when the written word has been absorbed in your mind, it will turn into authority. It will turn into water that will wash your mind. It will enhance your prayer life like never before. And when you fast and you pray and you read, your spirit will begin to morph and to transform from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And you'll find yourself in the middle called, in a place called in between and lost in transition. And that's exactly what happens to a butterfly. A butterfly first, when it goes into a cocoon, it has to go through a process where it loses its identity completely and goes into a gel substance. And while it's in the cocoon, it has no form. It can neither be caterpillar or it can neither be butterfly. It is nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus had to go through in the wilderness before his ministry, a place called nothing. The wilderness is a place of testing, a place where you lose your identity. It happened to Israel. They had to go through the place of transition. Jesus had to be tempted. It's a place where you find and you come face to face with your weaknesses. And God allows you to see them so you can approach him strategically and say, help me, Lord, in this area of my life. Here's the problem that I have. Here's my weakness. Make me strong. Strengthen me. Transform me. Because if your family is going to have a good year, it's going to be based off of your relationship with God. And if you are willing to go through a metamorphosis, a transition, 
from the old you to a new you, you have to be willing to lose your identity. You have to be willing to lose your identity and find your identity in the process. What was Jesus' thing whenever the, the enemy had him in the wilderness? What was the temptation? What was the question that Satan asked Jesus when he was in the wilderness? You want to know what it was? If you are the son of God. Every time. If you be the son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you're the son of God, jump from this mountain. If you will worship me, I'll give you all the riches in the world. And they are the devils to give. That's another lesson. But Jesus had to have their, he, see, he opened up the book. He identified himself. He knew who he was. But you have to be completely persuaded inside and out and know who you are. The wilderness and the 40 days and 40 nights was nothing more than to establish him and his identity. So the scripture says when he came out of the wilderness. And what's funny is, is that the spirit, the Bible says the spirit led him into it. You want to know what God's intent for us is, what his intentions are? Is letting his spirit, you and I, to, to lead us into a life of transformation. That when it's all over, if you're willing to go through the process, if you're man enough, if you're woman enough, if you're hungry enough, if you're desperate enough, if you are tired of going through the same battles year after year after year, if you're tired of being broke year after year after year, if you're tired of waiting for your opportunity to come year after year after year, here's the secret. You have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired and until we get desperate enough and say whatever you want to do God if you want to take away my identity all I want to be is a son all I want to be is a daughter and hell will tempt you in that and make you question yourself whether or not you're saved but the truth is you're saved more than you know because you're this far from your breakthrough and your blessing and all you've got to do is keep coming to church keep praising him keep praying keep fasting keep reading your bible keep on keeping on and it won't be long that your time will come like Jesus, when he walked outside the wilderness, the scripture says he walked out with authority and power. What that means is, is that he then came out anointed. And everything he said to them when he read that book was about to come to pass. Don't discredit God yet. God will fulfill his word. If God said it, it will come to pass. It may look like it's delayed. It may look like it won't. God may have changed his mind. God may have decided to do something else. But it's all going to be based on your position and your disposition and your spirit. Whether or not you're hungry for God and willing for him to come into your world and turn it upside down for a season so you can turn the world right side up. How desperate are you to see change? How desperate are you 
to see God's word come to pass. How desperate are you to see change in your family? It isn't God's will for you to come to church by yourself all the time. It is God's will for you to bring your whole family to church with you all the time. It isn't God's will for you to pray by yourself at home. It's God's will for there to be a fire inside your house from the man to the woman to the children. Even the cat and the dog will feel something when you begin to pray, right? You don't think that's true? I'm going to tell you something. Spirits, evil spirits can affect your dogs and cats because they got spirits too. Y'all ain't ready for that. I pray for my dog. He's as dumb as a football, but boy, we love him. I love that dog. Well, he does a few tricks, but I love that dog. But I pray for that dog. You're right, I do. I pray over everything in my house. I pray for people when they visit. I pray for people who haven't visited. I pray that angels would cover our territory. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me give you a little secret, something. And you need a revelation tonight. I'm getting off track, but I'll get back, I'll get back on the train. Let me, let me drop you something. I talked to some of my girls tonight, and I was telling them, I said, I want you to understand something. Just like God... Just like God sent Jesus to go into this earth and to do one thing, to give the good news, to open up prison doors, to set people free, to heal them, and establish what an acceptable year looks like. Just like that happened. See, God looks at our year, and he will tell you if it's acceptable or not. If you don't feel pleased about the year because you don't see the hand of God in it, I guarantee you God doesn't either. So you need to take a different approach. So the reality is, is that you need to see yourself differently. Not only are you a son and a daughter, but you are a citizen. And if you're taking care of business for the government, then you are an ambassador. Stay with me now just for a moment. I'm almost done. Not only are you a son or a daughter, you are an ambassador if you're taking care of government business right? And did you know that when ambassadors go to foreign land, that the actual place of business that they conduct and where they live is considered to be American soil, wherever they're at. I don't care in what country they're in, as long as they've been sent there by the government to do business in a third world country or wherever it may be, the soil they do business on and where they live is considered to be American soil. I love the Roe family. I hope they're watching tonight. I'm pretty sure that they are. The Roe family is some of our precious elders in this church. If you love them, give it up. I love that family. They're from the Bahamas. Am I right? Caribbean. Jamaica. You're making me crazy, but anyhow. One of those islands. And they've got the coolest accent. But from where they're from, it was colonized by Britain. So they got a British accent when they talk. Why? Well, because when Britain went there, they captured the islands. They established their government. It now became British soil. 
And what they had to do, what they did, they began to infuse their culture and their language and their laws. So after a period of time, whoever was inhabiting those islands, now they began to adopt a new culture. And when they're in trouble, then Britain comes and gets them out. When they need help, then they get help. But you see, it's no different in the kingdom of God. That's why everywhere that Jesus went, everyone had now were open and receptive from the authority that he had in his life. That's why the centurion guard looked at Jesus and said, I'm a man of authority too. I'm representing Rome, but you're representing heaven. So I know how Rome works, so I know that the kingdom of God must work like that. Just speak the word and it's done. Jesus said, I've not seen so much great faith, not even in all the land. What I'm telling you is, is that when you've been saved and you've been born again and you've been filled with the Spirit, you are now being inhabited by the government of God and its ruler who is King Jesus. And wherever you abide and wherever you work and wherever you choose to inhabit, you are now representing heaven and you are now begin to receive if you do it right, understand correctly, and you follow through with your government's instruction, that soul now belongs to God. And there isn't a devil in hell that can step on your home property, that can walk in your house, if you rightly declare who you are in your stance with God. I'm talking to citizens of God's kingdom. And until you begin to confess and until you begin to recognize who you are, you don't have the authority that you need to function properly in the kingdom of God. Everywhere Jesus went. Come on, Haley. Everywhere Jesus went. Jesus. There was never a devil that can stop him, that could have stopped him. There, there isn't a devil that can stop him right now. But he knew who he was. He knew his assignment. He knew his purpose. Those three years were the best years this world had ever seen, despite the crucifixion, which was a dark day. But those three years... Jesus proved something to the religious world, to the governments of the world, to the superpowers, and he proved one thing. No matter what you throw at him, no matter what tri trickery you may come up with, no matter what kind of snare you may, an entrapment that you may try to set up for the Son of God, no weapon formed against him could ever prosper. And every tongue that came up against him in judgment would be condemned. And there is no weapon to day that can come against you when you understand who you are financially socially who cares if they counsel you your government represents you and will promote you and promotion comes from the Lord and if you're anointed by God there is nothing that can come near your dwelling Psalms 91 is true he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty and you don't have to be fearful about what's going on in the world you don't have to be fearful about all these conspiracy theories and all these things happening. The kingdom of God is alive and well. Jesus is still alive. The church, this is our finest hour for us to stand up, stand tall, and move strong forward and become what God's called us to be. 
This is our year. This is our year. And it changes the moment you accept who he is. Here's the challenge for tonight. I'm going to challenge you. Go home tonight and pray. Wake up in the morning and pray. Go throughout your day and praise him. Jesus, teach him how to do those lights in Jesus' name. Lord, I want you to know that when you begin to accept his person, that your person will be changed. Tell him. Lord, I'm willing to go through the process to lose my identity. Here's what God told me years ago. There was a moment, I'm going to tell this story and then I'm closing. Tell him, Lord, use me. I'm going to be real with you now. I'm going to, I'm going to pull back all the facade and show you the scars. We need to do this every once in a while so you'll understand that this right here comes with the price. There was a year We went through chaos, my family and I. There was a year where we wanted to walk away from this because we had been through so much people that we loved, people that we prayed for, people that we trained, people that we, we put their, God used us to put their marriages together. God used us to, to, to help them find their callings and their giftings. And, and it's like in one moment, everything turned on us. And, 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 I, and I was like, God, what in the world did I do wrong? And God spoke to me and said, you prayed you wanted to love more, didn't you? You prayed you wanted to be used by me, didn't you? You prayed, God, whatever comes, I'm going to stay faithful, didn't you? And I had to keep my mouth shut for years. And I had to see people, and there was a day that, thank God, that, that it's not there anymore, but there was a day that somebody wrote a letter on Facebook about me and how they thought we were misappropriating funds and they thought I was a controlling pastor and I wanted to manipulate all kinds of lies. And somebody put it on our church Facebook page and they tagged me and it went to thousands of people in this city. And I was like, God, why? What did I do? That's not true. And I had to shut my mouth. And I had to go through it and allow the enemy to lie. And all I could do was pray. All I could do was pray and humble myself. And then people left and, and they were upset because God spoke to us and told us to shift and restructure how we do things in the church, getting us ready for the future lost family and I'm like God why my wife and I were so disturbed because that's why to this day to this day I've only been pastored by two people and to this day I still talk to them and still honor them and respect them and God has blessed us because of it every Christmas I stay in contact and I'll send something Always. When we wanted to leave, I said, God, I know what my family's worth. 
I don't have to let them go through all of this. I said, I know how valuable we are. I know how valuable we are. You've got to know your value. And that isn't being arrogant. I just know. I said, we can go anywhere we wanted to if, they, if, they, if, they, if the church will have us. But God said, I called you to Victoria. Stand still. And for years, I had to go through it. People talking about it. People saying this. People telling lies. Until one year, not too long ago, I called my pastor and I talked to my pastor and my whole family and we told them everything. I got three men in my life that are my fathers. I I don't do this by myself. When I say they're my pastors, I say we talk on a regular basis and I let them know everything about me. They know everything about me. And I told one of them, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. And I thought he would say, I've got a great church for you someplace. He said, until you give it everything you got, regardless of how you feel, God is not going to bless it. So my family and I decided years ago, we said, we're going to give it everything we got and continue to love people and give everything we got to this. And we did. And when we did that and we adopted values and we began to see the purpose and begin to love people again and not be afraid. You see, many times people are afraid to be hurt by the pastor, but you need to realize pastors are afraid of being hurt too. But God begins to bless us. And people, and I say this, and I would say this if they were here, people that said things about us and did things, I got phone calls from them. They wanted to visit with me. Some people, not everybody, but some people. And they emailed me. And they said, I'm so sorry. I lied. I said this. I said that. And you did nothing wrong. And we prayed. And I forgave. And I had it ready to forgave. But God, it's like Job. Until Job began to pray for those people that were lying about him, God didn't set him free and didn't begin to bless him. But a double portion began to happen in my family. And in our lives. And I was asked to go preach someplace. And this had already gone to this had already passed. A year after all this, and God began to bless. I went out of town and I started to minister someplace. And I was there. And a little sweet lady came up to us and she said, A year ago, God spoke to me about you. God told me that you had been lied on. I saw you crying out in your prayer closet. And you were crying out like a little boy because I was so hurt. And I cried out like a little boy. I just said, God, help me. God, strengthen me. God, I love them regardless. God, what do I do? And she said, God saw everything that was said. And he saw the ministry that came against you. And he said, I saw the hand of God. This little sweet lady said, she identified the exact time. And I remember the moment she said, I saw you kneeling down in your prayer closet. And she said, you cried out, Father, forgive them. And she said, had you not prayed that, she said, God was so upset with what was being said and what was being done. He says, she said, I saw the hand of God coming in and he was fixing to remove that ministry. But God didn't do it because he heard me cry out and say, Father, forgive them. 
and I and I leaned over and I let it come out. And I started saying, God, I know I'm not the same person I used to be. But there was a time and a place where I felt like I had no identity. But it was all based on the one prayer, Lord, use me. God can't use you if you're not willing to go through the transformation. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you have been through it. Some of you need to allow God to do it. It may not be like mine. It may be something way simpler. You're different than me. We have different callings. But for where God had us, my whole family had to go through it and experience it with me. That's why when you see my family up here, I'm going to tell you something. They're not just up here because their last name is Rivetta. They're up here because they've been through the hurt. They've been through the torment. They've been through sleepless nights. They have paid a price. They have been through it with me in my house. And they have prayed and they have felt the same thing we feel. There is an anointing on this church based on the forgiveness and the mercy and the love that comes out of our hearts. We have no extra crying with anybody. We pray for everybody in this city. We pray for every church in this city now. We pray for every pastor in this city. And you need to have a heart of forgiveness. And you need to pray prayers of love. And you need to forgive. And we can't hold crutches. But here's my point. If you're going to see change this year, it's time to let go of your identity and be identified with Jesus. What would Jesus do? Will you lift up your hands and say, I accept the call, if you feel that, and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I surrender to you right now. If you've not given your life to Jesus tonight, I think tonight would be a great time for you to say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be God, the one who calls the shots in my life. I want you, dear God, to move, to have your way, to do what's best. I surrender to you. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now lift up your voice and begin to praise Him. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.